All right, as we continue in this series in Galatians, today we are in chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verse 8 to 20. So if you do have your Bible, you can turn there, or in your scripture journal, invite you to, to find your place in there now as we'll walk through these, these verses together. Now, when you watch a, a TV show uh, recently on, on whatever streaming services or whatever you watch, there's often this uh, little caption that comes up and it says previously on and then you so this is my little previously on because we we've, we've been we stepped out of Galatians through our advent series and so we've got to catch up a little bit or you might be relatively new or first time here today. So here's where we're at as we are now kind of at this point in in our series in Galatians. So previously on our Galatians series uh, this is from the apostle Paul. He wrote the book of Galatians and this is from his first missionary journey. Paul was uh, sent out, commissioned as an apostle to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And Gentiles are just those who are not Jews. And as we'll see today in this, this passage, actually, he ended up in a region of towns called Galatia. And we'll see that in this passage today that he ended up there as a result of a physical ailment. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit, but, uh, you know, we don't always know where we're going to end up in life, right? This wasn't, uh, the Apostle Paul's plan wasn't to go there, but due to this, this uh, ailment that he had, he ended up here. You know, in, in 2017, Tanya and I moved to, to Alberta, moved back to Alberta from BC to work uh, at Southern Alberta Bible Camp, and then as a result and through conversations and uh, however the Lord led us, I became the pastor here at College Drive. The Lord directs in ways that we do not always plan. You know, the Galatians here in this, this uh, book, they responded, we've heard, with great joy to the gospel that the Apostle Paul taught them. But when Paul left them and he continued on his journey, there was another group of people that came in, and we've heard this, and they, they were called Judaizers, and what they were is, they, these men were Jews, and they had come to faith in Jesus, but they still thought and taught that people, including these Galatian converts, needed to become Jews. They needed to be circumcised. They needed to come under the law, as well as faith in Christ. And the book of Galatians is the Apostle Paul's passionate appeal for the Galatian believers to come back to their initial joy of faith in Christ and not to return to the bondage of a legalistic system. Faith. And faith alone is what justifies us before God. So there's a little bit of where we were at. And today, now we'll get into today's text. Starting at verse 8. <clears throat> Formerly... When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. 
And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. All right, we're going to go through some kind of initial observations, and I'll, I'll say this. Uh, this isn't going to be necessarily a very linear uh, approach to this sermon. I think overall in this text, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of has all kinds of different ideas and, and things, and so he's not real linear himself. So this is uh, the way I'm going to follow it as well. So track with me. Uh, so a few initial kind of things to draw out of, of uh, this text. We see that this is... Once again, as we saw in chapter 3, that the Apostle Paul has this bit of a tone, as he might say. Kind of a perplexed tone, bit of a frustrated tone. It's really an emotional appeal, which isn't Paul's, always his natural thing. He can be very logical, rational, uh, very theological. But in this, he's, he's really, uh, you can hear the, the pleading, the emotion in this, these verses. See, Paul was a, had the authority as an apostle, but we also see in this text that he had the heart of a pastor, a shepherd. He says, you received me, even though my ailment was a burden to you. There was, there was love and respect and care that was shown to Paul. And he says even that, that you would have plucked out or gouged out your eyes for me. I think in this, this kind of metaphor, it was the idea of the eyes were the most important, most valuable possession. And he's just saying, like, you would have given me everything that you had, even more than what we might say. If you'd give me the shirt off your back, he says, you would have actually, you know, plucked your eyes out. You cared for me that much. But then he says, now that you're, you're looking to move back to this legalistic system, he says, I don't know. Wondering if all of my work, all my labor was in vain. Have you ever experienced that in your life with someone? You've poured into, you've invested so much in them. Even maybe your kids. Someone that you've walked alongside and you've discipled and then it just seems like they've, they've wandered away. I had this experience with, with a young guy I'll call Alex in our, our youth ministry when we were in Surrey. We had a youth camp, and he came to this camp. He, he didn't know anything about God, anything about church or faith or anything. We sang songs he, he tried to sing to, but he didn't know any of the words. He heard us, you know, praying and, and talking about Jesus, and it was like news. You know, he had no idea. But he was loved. He was accepted. His heart was, was softened to the gospel, and he, he responded very, very emotionally and very, uh, you know, we could, we could see it. he was so sincere about receiving Jesus. He was baptized. And then I spent a greater part of a year 
discipling him, meeting with him every week. He bought a Bible. It's a, he got a big Bible. He says, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get a big Bible. Got a big Bible, and he got a box to go with it, you know, and, and uh, had it in that box. And he wasn't so sure at first if he should write in his Bible or keep notes in there, but he started to mark up his Bible and learn things and doing extra study. Started memorizing Scripture. Like he had an uncanny ability to just absorb Scripture and apply it. He was growing leaps and bounds. But it seemed like about a a year later, we started seeing him less and less. He stopped coming to youth, didn't show up for church, just hanging out with some, some different friends had different family uh, struggles that we're going through, and we kept reaching out to him, but we didn't get response. I don't know exactly where he's at today. It's been a, a lot on my mind. I pray for him regularly. But there's times where I just think, man, I, all my work, all my labor, was it in vain? And I know that it's not about me. But it's like you could see, you could sense what's going on here with, with Paul poured out his, his life to these people in Galatia. And now as he's gone, just seemingly going a different direction, and they're, they're following a distortion, he says in chapter 1 of the gospel. And so he's like, I don't even know if my, my labor was all in vain. There's a sadness, you know, that goes uh, to that from the heart of a pastor. And for anyone of us who love people and sees them walk away from the Lord. All right, we're going to talk about Paul's bodily ailment, he says here. There's lots of speculation on this. Don't want to spend a lot of time on that because anytime when we go into things in Scripture where we're not told, we're, we realize, well, we're just not told for, you know, it's not the most important thing. Uh, but we speculate on it. And so there is speculation as far as what was going on with Paul. We know that through Acts, he was, he was stoned uh, different times, right? Not like with rocks, just so you know. It wasn't an alcohol addiction, but it was, he, was, he was stoned and thrown out of the city, left for dead. Well, that could have affected some parts of his body. We know other places where it talks about, you know, he's, he's had a, a thorn in his side. Maybe a better translation, some say, would be like that he had, it says this in 2 Corinthians, that he, it was like a stake that was thrust into his body, like an intense pain. That he had. Some suggest he had a form of malaria, which was common at that time, or epilepsy. Some point out the ideas of, of his eyesight, that these, you know, the folks would have given them their eyes, and we think about that, because, <laughs> but like, what would he have done with them? It wasn't exactly the medical system that could just done an eye transplant. It was a, it was a metaphor, but they loved him that much. They would have done everything. Could have, could have been. Some things we don't, we don't know, and we don't need to know. What's the point? Well, the point is, what Paul is saying is, this is how they responded to him at the time. And it causes them to go back, to think about when they first had this relationship. It was love and respect. They received him, it says, as if he were the Lord himself. And it isn't just a, it isn't a, an ego thing or puffing him up. This is, this is how we are to respond to people, you know, believers. That we treat you as if you were Jesus himself was among us. That's how much love and respect they had for him. And yet he had this this ailment. And it could have been something that was very visible that caused them, you know, it it could have, we don't know. 
but it seemed to cause something that it caused them some kind of strife and and uh, and struggle to have him among them. This is a another sermon fully, but just this uh, a little word here to those of you um, who are dealing with physical pain, physical illness, and trial in that. We always struggle to know the answer to the why questions. But we can take some comfort in knowing that even the Apostle Paul was not immune from health challenges. It had a purpose in the plan of God, even though he probably wondered why at times, and we often do as well. And even as a, a pastor, I, I, we don't know, I don't always know what to say when someone is struggling with something that we can't understand. And there's times where you don't have to say anything. You be present and you pray. And with that, as we, we heard Carol mention, um, we pray for Russ and for Sharon. And Russ was to, pre to preach today. Russ is a member of our preaching team. He's part of our elder team as a life group leader. And right now, Russ is experiencing loss of his hearing from an infection. And so today at 4.30, our elders and Joe's going to come and lead some singing, and we're going to pray and anoint Russ for healing. And so I invite you, if you can mark that time down, uh, to pray with us and for Russ, wherever you are. We don't know the why. But we pray and we trust and we hope. Another expression that Paul uses is that they were turning back to what was weak and worthless. What were they turning back to? Well, there was three main things that these Judaizers were pressuring the Galatian believers to conform to. Uh, circumcision, we've talked about that a fair bit. We'll continue to talk more about that in the next little while, as that is a primary issue. Uh, observing days is what he mentions here. Sabbaths, the, the Jewish festivals, moons, things that, that we maybe don't have those, those uh, recollection of understanding, but was part of the Jewish system before Christ. Dietary laws, not mentioned specifically in Galatians, but we see that in Acts chapter 15, that that was a thing. It was, it was part of their, their separation from the Gentiles, things that were eating, meal, eating food that was not kosher, and, and they would, that would be a separation. And so while these things uh, were, were clearly things the Judaizers were, were bringing in and telling them that they needed to follow, they caused distinctions in the church which had tangible impact relationally but there was something else going on in there. This was also a deeper theological issue. And that had to do with actually the sufficiency of Christ and his work on the cross. Colossians 2, verse 16 to 17, Paul writes, Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. And so very clearly, this is what, what Paul is saying, 
is that all those festivals, all those moon celebrations, all those, those Sabbaths and, and things, everything, it pointed to Jesus. That was the point of that throughout the whole Old Testament. What the people of Israel were doing was in anticipation of the Messiah. Well, now the Messiah had come. And so for them to revert back to those things, basically, in effect, what they were saying was, well, there's something more that is ahead. There's something more that is coming and that Christ actually did not fulfill all the things that were required. And that was something that Apostle Paul was just not going to stand for. Paul says, have I become your enemy? He says, you, you've loved me, you've respected me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Huh. You know, the role of a, a pastor and, and elders, there are moments, there are times where we step into situations where we have to hold people accountable. Um, we have, in our church, we have a membership. And so as if you become a member of our church, you join our church, and you come under the authority of the local church. And so there's times where we, we step in and we hold members accountable. And we don't always do that well. We admit that. We don't always do the right, say the right things, handle it in the right way. And sometimes we, we lack courage to do it when we need to. But this is part of, of the role of, of elders and pastors in a church, to speak the truth. See, listen... What I believe that I'm accountable to God for and what I believe that the role of our leadership is responsible and, and accountable for is two things that we one day, I believe one day it will be, um, I don't know if God will actually ask me these questions, but in my mind, this is how I perceive it. As a pastor, I believe that I'm, I'm accountable to God for two things. And one is the question, did you love them? And secondly, did you tell them the truth? That's how I, that's how I frame my role as as a pastor. Do I do I love you? See, if I don't if I don't love you, then it's easy. I can tell you the truth and just you know pound you with a hammer. But my role is is twofold: to love you, to care for you, to shepherd you. And in that, the second part also is present. And that is telling you the truth. That's, I'm accountable to God for that. The problem is, though, that telling people the truth isn't always very popular. Right? Especially in our, our, even in our Christian culture today. And again, as I said, we don't always do this right. And, and I would say, where I've messed that up, I apologize. But I think... When, when we have a culture of people that you come in and, and as, as long as nobody calls me on anything, no one, no one challenges me on anything, no one speaks the truth to me, and my truth becomes my truth, then that's the way of the world, and that's the way of our culture outside of the church. But within the church, we submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. We submit ourselves to the authority of those who are placed in that authority over us to speak truth in love. But sometimes, and this is the natural way that happens right now in our churches, is you speak the truth, and it often comes across as offense. And what happens? Well, I'll find another church. Or I've been hurt by the church, and there's real hurt, and there's real spiritual abuse that has happened in churches. There's no denying that. 
But when truth is brought to you and is brought in love and you don't want to hear that and you feel like you're being judged or your response is anger, how dare they? How dare they say something? And again, it has to be in alignment with God's word. But would your response be humility? Would your response be repentance? Would your response be gratitude that somebody cared enough for you to say, well, here's the truth. That's what Paul says as he tells him, he says, have I become your enemy now just because I'm telling you the truth? Apostle Paul says in verse 19, he talks about the anguish of childbirth. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I, I, I'm not, I'm not a, a woman <laughs> in sleep, but I, I felt this when I read this. I thought, you know, anytime a man brings up labor pains, I don't know. <laughs> he should have he used like gallstones or something like that. <laughs> I'm in the pain of gallstones for you. talking about the anguish of childbirth it's a metaphor of course and the idea here is is truly the heart of a pastor the struggles wanting what is best for the church and laboring for that and then the pain of seeing his children stray from the truth of the gospel see the deepest desire for a pastor is to see Christ formed in the flock faith not just in, in words, but in action. See, the Christian life is always meant to be lived. That's called discipleship. And this is why, if you're, if you're new with us or haven't heard this for a while, that, that is what our mission is. Our mission is to make disciples, to be and to make disciples. And a disciple, we define this, and may as well start out the year by hearing this so you hear it again and again. But this is how we frame discipleship, is a disciple is one who out of intimacy with Jesus has to come out of relationship with him. Out of intimacy with Jesus, this one is one who patterns their life after the character and the priorities of Jesus. Okay, hear that again. A disciple is one who out of intimacy with Jesus patterns their life after his character and his priorities. That's the metric. That's the, that's the bar. That's what we look at and we say, am I a disciple? Am I patterning my life after him? That's what a disciple is. One who is, is mentored. One who is with and walks with Jesus and begins to look like him. And so when there is, there is anguish and I, and I would hope this doesn't come through in, in you know, because I think in, in terms of preaching, as we do here at the church, there's times where uh, I might get passionate. There's times where I'm not passionate enough. There's sometimes some of you might feel like, man, I wish he'd get a little more riled up at us. Others say, man, he sure was ticked at us today. I feel like, he, I don't know if he loves us. <laughs> I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to get it wrong. But hopefully you know, you know, my heart that Christ would be formed in all of us. Okay, 
a few takeaways here. Um, just uh, some things to unpack a little bit. First of all, here's a, here's a big one. I mean, it's, it's pretty blatant in this, is that legalism and lawlessness has the same effect. Verse 8, Paul says that before, before you knew Christ, before he you understood that he knew you, in your former life, he's speaking to the Galatians, they didn't know God, and they didn't know the law. And so he says now, so where you've come from, you didn't know God, you didn't know the law, then the gospel by faith was revealed to you, you received that with joy, and then <clears throat> now you're going back to, to the law, which you didn't know, but now you've been told, and now you've been told that you need to follow that, and adding that to the gospel, which Paul says is a distortion. But what he's saying is, is that this conforming to a legalistic system is the same exactly as what you had before, before Christ. This was a false god. And this is a false god. And it's radical because this, the law, was actually given by God. The only thing is, it, now it was fulfilled in Christ. And so for you to go back to a system that was pre-Christ, <laughs> Paul is saying this, this is all, it's pointless without Christ. It's like, it's like celebrating Christmas and Easter without Jesus. You missed the whole point. And so in observing these days and these events and all these festivals and things that pointed to their fulfillment in Christ, Again, as I said earlier, the, the Galatians were, in effect, saying, we're continuing to look ahead to something that God has yet to do, that Jesus was insufficient. See, the worship of false gods, whatever, however you look at it, it's worshiping what is created rather than the creator. And the purpose of Jesus clearly said as we come through from Christmas where the, the angel said to Mary, his name will be Jesus. Why? Because he will save people from their sins. That was the purpose of the life of Jesus. His action on the cross showed us that we could be justified. It, it paid the price that we needed to pay and we couldn't. That we could be justified with God through faith. That was the whole point. The theologian, his name is R.N. Longnecker. I don't know how you get a name like that, but that's his name. He says this, whatever leads one away from soul reliance on Christ, whatever it is, whether based on good intentions or depraved desires, is sub-Christian and is therefore to be condemned. So whether it's, it's good intentions, but you're going under a legalistic system that says, i got to earn my way to God, i got to earn his, his favor based on my merit, not on Christ. Or if you just say, I'm just doing whatever I want on my own, following my own desires, it's the same, same effect, same thing. Secondly, when did you come to be known by God? This is a beautiful picture here that, that Paul says as he corrects himself in a way. He says, but now that you have come to know God, 
or he says, rather to be known by God. See, none of us actually seeks God. This is what Romans 3.11 says. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. That's not our natural bent isn't just to say, I'm going I'm to seek God. Your natural bent is to please yourself. Follow your own desires. And so what it takes is the initiative of God for us to be saved. This is what Scott McKnight says. He says the emphasis here that Paul is saying is it's on God's sovereign grace as the initiating force in conversion. It's all about God. It's his effort, his initiation. So hear this today, that God has relentlessly pursued you. He's pursued you. Hasn't been your wisdom or your, all the books that you've read or all the internet Googling that you've done and knowing God. It's like he's pursued you, revealed himself to you. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, talks about that, that we've entered into this, this relationship with Abba, Father, called sons, received sonship, that's intimacy with the Father. We've been freed from the curse of the law and we've been filled with the Spirit. That's the radical relationship that is now ours because of Christ. And what is our response? Our response is gratitude. We say, thank you, God. Thank you for seeking and finding me, and endlessly pursuing me. All right, third, he says, what, what's happened to your joy is what the NIV says. ESV in the journals and what you have there is, is what has become of your blessedness? And uh, I don't know, I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, this isn't a, a scripture you should memorize and then, and then quote to somebody, you know, especially in the morning, maybe before they've had coffee. What's become of your blessedness today? Probably, uh, probably not uh, what you should do to your kids, you know. I don't know, don't do that. What's become of your blessedness? Do you read scripture like I do? I don't know, I, I find it. But this is what Paul is saying. He says, you were happy is really the term there. Blessedness, you were, you were happy before when you, when you just met Christ. Can you imagine this? That you were stuck in, in your, your, your godlessness and then the gospel was revealed to you and you were told clearly that Jesus had died for you, that you could be forgiven of your sin, that you could have peace with God, that you could be invited into the family of God and be called his child, share in the inheritance of God, and you received that, guess what? joy. That's, that's the gospel. That's what it brings. It doesn't bring burden. It doesn't bring a weight. It doesn't bring enslavement. It brings joy. It's liberty. And you had that. Do you have it now? Because you've been going back to this legalistic system? What's become of your blessedness? Where did your joy go? See, legalism can steal joy. How come? Well, first of all, it makes you feel guilty rather than loved. Because a legalistic system is based on what you do rather than who you are. It steals your joy because it, it produces self-hatred rather than humility. 
Because you're trying to do this, you're trying to climb the stairs, but you realize you just can't. You don't have the energy, you don't have the desire, you just can't do it. And so the thoughts turn towards yourself, and you realize, man, what a miserable person I am. It steals your joy because it stresses your performance rather than relationship. It points out how far short we fall rather than how far we've come because of what Christ did for us. Something we, we often say around here is that, you know, Jesus did the heavy lifting. But legalism says that we have to do the lifting to please God. And, you know, we might as well try to, to lift the Eiffel Tower. We can't. We can't earn favor with God. And you're not supposed to. Legalism steals your joy. Finally, we're going to look ahead just to this, this year, you know, 2024. If we say, it, we were, it says former life. Uh, let's look at former life being like last year. I know it's probably, you know, longer than that before you, you um, came to Christ, any of you. Um, but looking at, okay, former life, what, what was last year like? You might recognize that perhaps there's been some drift in your own spiritual life. The spiritual fervor maybe is lacking. Maybe you want it back. Like, maybe you want to try to, to do things more to get it back. You'll fall into a legalistic system. But Paul says that there is, there is a lot of good. There's a good purpose. There's zeal is kind of another translation for this. Is that there, there's good zeal for good things. And he could speak to this because he had zeal for something bad. He killed Christians and he was very zealous. But he says there's a, there's a good zeal. And we as Christians are called to have a good zeal and to desire to grow. It's part of discipleship. But perhaps as you look back on your former life in this last year, and you recognize that that drift maybe has happened, whether you've moved from a, a system of religion or legalism which left you lacking joy, or maybe worldly pursuits or sinful desires that stole your hunger for God, both have put you under bondage. And so today we'd invite you, man, today would be a day to return to the freedom that's given by Jesus alone. As we close uh, and turn to our, our communion in just a few minutes, I want to uh, ask something of you, and I want to be very clear that if anything in this stirs a heart of yours that would be drawn towards, this is what I got to do to please God, then you can close your ears and reject this. But this is not what I'm saying. But is there a desire in your heart to grow as a follower of Jesus in 2024. If you have a desire, not, not in any way to earn favor with God, but because you're known by God and you want to know him more and because the natural, the supernatural impulse now that you are being born in Christ would say, Christ is being formed in me and I want to release that. I want to allow that to happen. And so what I want to ask you to do is nothing, um, 
super spiritual about this or anything, and I want you to all, all be very honest. Uh, so anything that you don't feel that is of the Spirit compelling you to do, reject, because it might just be other pride or um, guilt or anything like that. So all I'm going to ask you to do is we're just going to close our eyes, and I'm just going to ask you a few things as far as what you desire. And if, if your heart says, yeah, I desire that, then just, just slip up your hand and put it down. Okay, that's, that's all. No one's looking around or anything like that. And this isn't, again, benefiting you in any way <laughs> towards uh, God. It's just a symbol of faith. Yeah, I, I, would, I would desire that in this year. Because I want to know God more. I desire to grow in my understanding and love for God's word. I desire to grow in my prayer life, seeking God with tenderness. I desire to grow in my community. I want to know my brothers and sisters and develop deeper friendships. I desire to grow in my service and gifting. I desire to grow in my witness. I want to have my eyes open to see who in my life needs Jesus and pray for opportunities to share. I desire to grow in my generosity. I know that God is generous. I desire to be like him, so I'll offer my resources, even though I might be stretched and need to trust. even fathom the depths of our frustration and our lack of <laughs> without you Jesus in this year we need you in 2024 like we needed you last year in all of our lives God you desire um, us to to know you more because it's not going to give us any more points but it's just going to be what your best is for us there's going to be joy that will just come out of us the blessedness of walking out the gospel life is rich and we want that and we want that for our church we want that to be evident in our gatherings we want that to be evident in in all of our ministries in our life groups we want that to be evident in our foyer conversations and as we walk to our vehicles after church. We want that to be evident in our, our having coffee with each other and having each other in homes and, and getting to know each other, encouraging each other. All these things, Lord, are, are the joy of walking in relationship with you. So we crave that, we desire that, we open our hands to you and say, Lord, would you be formed in us?